0: 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then we're going to go to Genesis 43. Uh, Unless the Lord changes my mind, today will be our last study in Genesis 43. We'll move ahead into the next chapter. Now, for years and years and years, I have told you that the Bible is a hymn book, H, I. It's about Him. It's all about Him. Everything in it is about Him. The writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw the law and the prophets as figures of the realities of the new covenant in Christ. Let me say that again now. The writers of the New Testament Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw the law and the prophets, everything in the Old Testament, as figures of the realities of the new covenant in Christ. And they spoke of them as figures and shadows. Now you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and listen to these passages while you're turning, First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul wrote in Romans 14:5-14 that Adam was the figure of him that was to come. That is, Adam was a figure of Christ. In First Corinthians chapter 15, Christ is called the second Adam or the last Adam. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read in verses 8, 9, and 10 that everything in the tabernacle was a figure. They only had meats and drinks and many different kinds of washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time when Christ came. So it said everything in the tabernacle, the laver, the brazen altar, everything in there says something about Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, he says the Holy Spirit signified when they built that tabernacle, the holy place and the holy of holies. It says that while they were standing, they were figures for Christ who was coming. In Hebrews nine twenty four, he said, "Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. Christ did not enter into a holy place here that man made. He entered into the holy place in heaven, of which this down here was a figure, a figure." Hebrews nine twenty four. Then in Hebrews chapter eleven, we are told that when Abraham raised his knife to kill his son. That his intent was to kill his son. So in intent his son was killed. Not actually because God said there's a ram back here. And I want you to put that ram in his place. But he intended to kill it, And so he says that when Isaac got up off of that uh, altar upon which he was going to be killed that he was a figure of Christ. He was a figure of the resurrection of Christ. He was the same as dead, but he came back to life when he got up for of that uh, altar. Then in 1 Peter 3, verse 21, Peter talks about the figure of baptism. And then the other word they use is the word shadow. Let no man judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or new moon or Sabbath day. They are shadows of the things to come. But the body is Christ. Hebrews 8, 5. The priests that offer gifts according to the law are shadows of the heavenly things. The law itself was a shadow. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law having a shadow of the good things to come. And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers perfect. In other words, the offering of those animals could never take away sin. The offering of those animals were figures and shadows pointing to Christ, who's the Lamb of God, to take away sin. Now you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Brethren, verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant, How that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now he doesn't say this here, but I can tell you that when they passed through the sea, that was a picture of baptism, baptism unto Moses. Then watch this, verse 3, And they did all eat the same spiritual meat. What was that? Well, that was that manna that fell down from heaven. And the New Testament tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ is the manna from heaven. He himself said, Your fathers did eat manna and they died. This is the true bread. Pointing to himself. Verse 4 They all did drink that same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ now he's not saying that Christ was actually the rock he's saying that the rock out of which the water came is a type a shadow a figure of Christ out of which comes the water of life okay now go down to verse 11 now I'm sorry verse 6 verse 6 now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. He's talking about the bad parts of that. Now I'll go to verse 11. All these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say praise the Lord. And saying, Father I stretch my hands to thee. Father, I stretch my hand to. You may be seated. Now, I hope you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. I've tried to introduce you to this study, which I have entitled, The Gospel in Genesis 43. The Gospel in Genesis 43. How are we going to be able to see some of the tenets of the gospel in Genesis 43, I've just told you in types and shadows and figures. I'm going to go through this chapter briefly and simply, naming the main characters and events in it and tell you what they mean. The first thing that we're confronted with when we begin reading Genesis 43 is the famine. Verse 1, the famine was very bad in the land. The famine is a figure of two things. One, the purpose of God in the world. And number two, a figure of the judgment of God in the world. When a famine came, the people of God were tested and the people of the world were employed in fulfilling the purpose of God. You know, Abraham was forced to go into Egypt by a famine. Isaac was forced into Gerar, a land of the Philistines, by a famine. Joseph, of, about whom we've been studying, was made prime minister of Egypt because of a famine. Jacob, that's Joseph's father and the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, he was forced to send his sons into Egypt for food because of the famine. It was a famine that forced Naomi and her family into Moab, where Ruth became her daughter-in-law and a member of the genealogy of the Messiah. That's what the book of Ruth is about. There was a famine in the days of Elisha, the prophet, by which he was shown to be a prophet of the Lord. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, said that the last days will be characterized by famine and other catastrophes. You can read about that in Matthew 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21. Now, just this past week here in Middle Tennessee, and of course it's in other states too, we had unusual weather. We had weather of 100 degrees and close to it for several days. And you know what I saw? Everywhere I went, I saw people panicking. We're so used to having a cool 74 degrees of air conditioning in our homes, it's going to be a mess. If we, had, if we had two or three weeks of 100-degree temperatures, the centers that generate the electricity, some of them would fail. And millions of people would be without electricity. They'd be without a lot of things that electricity runs, including air conditioning. And I hate to think of what's going to happen here in the United States of America when the last days come and there's famine throughout the world let me say again what I've already said famine will test the faith of those who profess to be children of God famine will be used to cause men and women and boys and girls to cry out to God for deliverance and ultimately for salvation famine will force men to do what they would not do under grace you know famine represents also our world in which into which we're born in other words we come into this world under a spiritual famine like the the house of Jacob we need food but the food we need when we're born into this world is spiritual food whether we are born in America or whether we are born in Africa America is the land of the plenty in Africa in certain places in the large continent of Africa they're having famine today they're having literal famines we're all born into this world under a spiritual famine and like Jacob's Family, we will starve to death if we don't get to the governor. You see, the famines are for our good to make us understand that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and that He does according as it pleases Him. So I said, a famine tests the people of God. A famine causes the unbeliever to either curse God or call on God. Have you ever read in the book of Revelation where it says that in the last days, if you take it literally, in the last days that the earth is going to be heated up. And it said men will curse God because of the heat. If you take that literally, that's in the book of Revelation. Find it. You can find it. So people will be cursing God. Well, if there's a God, where is he? Why is he letting us burn up like this? Our consolation must be that God is on the throne. He's ruling and we trust him. And we know that whatever he sends to this world will be for the good of God's children. And it'll be for the glory of his name. So I hope you can see how famine, the famine of Genesis 43 is a figure and a shadow of the spiritual famine in this world. I hope you can see that the will and the purpose of God was done through the famine. He used the famine to get, eat, uh, get uh, Joseph to the throne. He gave the Pharaoh a dream about the coming famine. Joseph interpreted that dream, and Joseph was made famous through the famine. All right. The second thing that we are faced with, figure number two in Genesis 43, are the sons of Jacob. The sons of Jacob. What do they represent? What do they figures are? Well, they are sinners. (laughs) And they are a figure of you and me in the treatment of our brother who has become governor of the universe. That's right. That's right. They were envious and they were jealous of Joseph. And the human race, we might say, we are brothers after the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world and he became a man. So in that sense, all men are brothers and Jesus is our brother. And we don't want him to get all of the glory and to rule and to reign over us and this world they sold their brother joseph and jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver strictly and humanly speaking they the brothers of joseph are the cause of all this trouble because of the rejection of their brother and do you know why this world is under a spiritual famine well think back to the garden of eden The scripture says that Adam and Eve, listen to this now, heard the voice walking in the garden. Go back and read it. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden. Who is that voice of God? Well, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word... The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. And that the word became flesh. John 1 14. And dwelt among us. We're told in John 1. That Jesus is the word. He is the voice of God. It was the voice of God. It was the second person of the Godhead. The one we call Jesus. Jesus. That was walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That word they rejected. That word that they wouldn't listen to. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat, you will die. They rejected that and they listened to Lucifer. They listened to the devil. The sons of Jacob are figures of you and me. As they rejected and hated their brother, we rejected and hated our elder brother, the one we call Jesus. And when Joseph's brother sold him, when they sold Joseph to those Ishmaelites, they were hoping never to hear from him again. And when they took the body of Jesus and put it in that grave, they were hoping never to hear from him again. But three days later, he walked out of the grave. And then for over 40 days he spent time with his disciples and he made various appearances. And then they saw him, Acts chapter 1, they saw him as he was taken up into heaven. And the angel said unto them, ye men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. So these brothers represent you and me. I hope we're converted. I hope we're different now. We're still sinners, but we're not willingly sinners. We don't want to sin. We don't want to do that. We want to serve the Lord, but that's who they represent. They represent sinners. They represent you and me. The third figure that we we see in Genesis 43 is Judah. You notice in verse 3, That Judah says to his father, when his dad said, you need to go back down into Egypt and get us some more food, Judah said, listen, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, you shall not see my face except your brother. That's Benjamin, your brother, be with you. When they took the first trip, you will remember, they didn't take Benjamin. So he told them, you come back. And when you come back, you bring your other brother, Benjamin, with you. So Judah reminds his father. He said, look, we can't go back. The man charged us. He said, don't come up here asking to see me. Don't come before me if you don't have Benjamin, if you don't have your other brother. So verse 5, if you'll send Benjamin with us, we'll go. But if you want, we're not going because he, he's, uh, he's the governor. He can put us to death. He can put us in prison. So what does Judah say? Judah says, notice here that Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Verse 8, Judah said unto Israel his father. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Send a lad with me, and we'll go. And uh, verse 9 I will be surety for him. Remember, I brought you a study on suretyship. Judah, let me tell you what Judah is a figure of. Judah is a figure of the means of our redemption. Verses 8 and through 10, it was Judah who was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of Benjamin. Judah. Judah. Judah is the father of the tribe from which our Savior came. Our Lord Jesus Christ was born into the tribe of Judah. And Judah here becomes the surety, the guarantor guarantor for Benjamin. So Judah, in his willingness to sacrifice himself for the sake of his family, he is a figure of the means of our redemption. See, Judah made himself responsible for the safety of Benjamin. Now, did you know that the root word for saved, you hear that a lot around Christians, saved, I've been saved. The root word for the word saved is safety. Safety. When you're saved, it just means you're safe. It means you're safe. The same word. So to be saved is to be safe. But our safety is only as good as the one who has become responsible for us. Jesus, who came from the tribe of Judah. So like Judah here in Genesis 43, our Savior bound himself with an oath to fulfill certain conditions demanded by The Father in heaven. And in doing so, Jesus became the guarantor of the everlasting covenant. You can read about it in Hebrews chapter 13 about the everlasting covenant. It's the everlasting covenant because no other covenant will follow that. There were lots of covenants. There was the Mosaic covenant, covenant with Moses, there was the Davidic covenant, covenant with David. There was the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. Well, all kind of covenants. But this is the last covenant. <laughs> and you know, if you, if you draw up a last will and testament, don't draw it up too early. Wait till you get up in age because you will liable to change your mind about who you want to leave what to. You might have left a bunch to somebody and then they, they double-crossed you or they treated you in the wrong way and said, I'm not leaving them a thing. So you've got to go back and rewrite that last will and testament, right? Well, God had lots of testaments, lots of covenants. But the one he made with his son was the everlasting covenant. There's not another covenant to follow that. Judah is a picture of the means of our redemption through covenant, through suretyship. He became the guarantor of the the safety of Benjamin. And our Lord Jesus became the guarantor and responsible for the safety of our salvation. He became our surety. Our salvation is a matter of suretyship. Notice what Judah says one more time. Verse 9, I will be surety for him. I'll be the guarantee for him. Of my hand, you shall acquire him. If I don't bring him back and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So, when the Lord Jesus came into this world, He came into this world as a surety for somebody. When He made the payment on Calvary, when He died, the debt was paid. That's one reason he said it is finished. That the it is finished. It is over. It is done. I have completed everything. I've done everything that was commanded me. Everything that I agreed to, I have accomplished. Therefore, our salvation is as sure as our surety. Figure number four is Joseph. Joseph. Joseph became the governor in spite of his brothers. Joseph is without a doubt a figure of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The Bible says of the Messiah, the Christ, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. When these boys went into Egypt, these brothers of Joseph, when they went into Egypt, here's here's what they learned. Number one, they learned that they couldn't get one thing except through him. Have you learned that you can't get anything from heaven except through Christ? They learned that he could not be seen except on his terms. We just read that in verses 3 through 5. The man said, don't come here unless you have what I ask you to bring your brother Benjamin. Verse 7, they learned this. They learned that he knows everything. When Jacob said, why in the world did you even tell him that you had a brother? (laughs) In verse 6. He said, the man asked us straightly, that is, he was real honest and straight with us. He looked us right in the eye, and he said, is your father alive, and do you have another brother? (laughs) And he said, we told him, yes, how how did we know, verse 7, how did we know that he would say, bring your brother here? Well, that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who knows all about us. He knows how many brothers we have and how many sisters we have. He knows everything about us, and we're going to see more of this in just a moment. And you know what his brothers did? They did what a lot of people do when they go to God. They offered him what he did not want, and they offered him what he did not need. They offered Joseph what he did not want, and and they offered him what he did not need. And what was that? Well, look at verse eleven. Verse eleven. The father Israel said, "Okay, take the best fruits in the land in your vessels, and carry down the man a present—a little balm, a little honey, a little spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds—and take double money in your hand." Verse twelve. So he said, "He said, take. He said, take the best fruits you got." In verse eleven. And he said, and take double money in your hand. He said, take your best fruits. My friends, when we come to the Joseph of heaven, our best is not good enough. That's why God sent his son. We can't do enough to please him. We can't be pleasing unto him on our own stead. And then he said, take double money. Well, God doesn't need any money. The Lord Jesus doesn't need any money. He owns the universe somebody said he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills too he doesn't need anything and that's what people do they think oh well i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that for god and i hope he'll pay attention no he doesn't need anything from you he wants from you what he's demanded and i'll tell you about that in just a minute verse 14 we find that all mercy was in the hand of joseph jacob said to his sons in verse fourteen, may God Almighty give you mercy before that man, that he may send away your other brother Simeon, who was he was holding him captive, and Benjamin. That I'm going to let you take. And if I am bereaved of my children, then I am bereaved. So he says that all the mercy is in the hands of Joseph. In all the mercy of god is in the hands of the lord jesus christ then the next thing we see verse 15 everybody has to stand before him verse 15 the men took that present they took the double money in their hand they took benjamin they rose up went down to egypt and stood before joseph you know what the bible says romans 14 verse 10 we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or whether it be bad they had to come and stand before the governor if they were going to get anything and we have to stand before the governor of the universe they learned also that he will not accept any person who doesn't have what he requires Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of the house, bring these men to my home and slay and make ready. They're going to dine with me at noon. He wouldn't accept them if they didn't have Benjamin. And Benjamin for us is Christ. God will not accept anybody Who doesn't have the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't have Christ, you will not be accepted of God. Let me tell you something Joseph didn't have to invite anybody in his house. I'll say more about this in a moment. But he only invited certain persons to his house to sit at his table. Look again at verse 16. He said bring these men home and slay and make ready. For these men shall dine with me at noon. Verse 17. And the man did as Joseph spoke. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. You couldn't get into the house of the governor of Egypt. Unless you were invited. You had to get there by special invitation. You know how you get in the kingdom of God? By special invitation. That's what we're doing when we're preaching the gospel. When we're saying whosoever will come to the fountain of waters. Whosoever will we're giving you an invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, the next figure, figure number five is the steward. We hadn't paid much attention to the steward. You read about him in verses 16 through 24. You know what the, the steward is a figure of? You know what he's a picture of? He's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This steward is the one who carried out all the orders of Joseph. And it is the Spirit who carries out the will of Jesus. Read it in John 15 and in John 16. The Spirit is the one who reveals Christ. He's the one who uh, indwells those who believe on Christ. He is the one who gives them faith to believe and grants them repentance. He's the one who reveals Christ, shows Christ, leads by Christ, glorifies Christ. And this steward is doing everything that Joseph wants. Notice verse 17, only the steward can bring these men into Joseph's house. Verse 17, the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. There's only one man that could bring them into Joseph's house, and that was the steward. And there's only one person that can bring us into the house of God, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Only the steward can calm your fears. Verse 18 and 19, the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. Verse 19, they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house. The steward is the only one who can calm their fears. Notice what he says. They come to him and they said, Sir, verse 20, Sir, we came down the first time to buy food and it came to pass, verse 21, when we came to the end, that is, when we were going back and we stopped at the watering hole, the inn, to get some food for our animals and some food for ourselves, we opened our sacks and there was money in our sacks. And our money, was full weight, we brought it then. We brought this money back to you, verse 22. In addition to that, we brought other money, double money, and we don't know who put that money in our sacks. And the steward said, Peace be to you. Fear not God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then is the next next part here is only the steward can set the prisoner free, and he brought Simeon who had been in prison, he brought him there and set him free. Only the steward Can bring them to Joseph's house. Only the steward can calm their fears. I had your money. I know what's going on. I know everything Joseph wants done because I serve Joseph. I'm the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the steward can set the prisoner free. He set Simeon free, verse 23. And only the steward can supply all of the needs of these brothers. Verse 24. Verse 24. The man brought the men in Joseph's house. He gave them water. He washed their feet. And he gave their animals food. He met all of their needs. Only the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ can supply all of our needs. And i tell you something else. People can fuss and fight <laughs> in America. We're so independent here. We just hate any idea of bowing. But when the governor came in, if you look at verse twenty-six and verse twenty-eight, when the governor came in, they bowed. Look at this. Verse 26. We can't go down if our youngest brother be with I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong wrong chapter here. Hold on just a second. Let me get in the right chapter. Um Verse, uh, let's see. All of a sudden, I'm drawing a blank here. (laughs) All right, let's see. We're in chapter 43. I'm in the wrong chapter. It is, verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house, and they bowed themselves to the earth. And then down in verse 28, and they bowed down their heads, and they made obeisance. I was in chapter 44. The wind blew my page over. (laughs) So chapter 43, and those two verses, you see that they bowed as soon as Joseph came into the room. Verse 26 and verse 28. Figure number six. We're almost through. Figure number six is unconditional love. It's not a person. It's a thing. Where do you see the unconditional love? We see that in Joseph receiving those who had hated him and Joseph feeding those who deserved punishment. He took his brothers into that house. He's got a plan. But the average person, once he had them in that position, would have taken revenge, would have taken advantage of them. But what did he do? He received those who hated him. He fed those who deserved punishment. What does our Lord do? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 that he died for us while we were dead in trespasses and sin. That he rewards those who are by themselves ungodly. He feeds those who hated him. And he blesses those who should be punished. That's what we get of God when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Figure number seven, we see sovereign separation. There's two separations here, two separations. Look at verse uh, 32, verse 32. It says that Joseph, verse 32 sat benjamin no i'm sorry joseph himself sat by himself and for them by themselves and the egyptians which did eat with them by themselves because the egyptians might not eat bread with the hebrews that is an abomination unto the egyptians so here we have separation we have the governor sitting in an honored place we got the egyptians sitting in a certain place and we got the Hebrews, the brothers of Joseph, sitting in a certain place. So that's the first separation right there. The Egyptians were separated from his brothers. Doesn't the Bible say when Jesus comes again that he will separate the wheat from the tares? He will separate the sheep from the goat? He will separate the wise from the foolish? He will separate the believers from the unbelievers? Yes, he does. So here we see this first separation. Then there's a second separation. What is that? Well, he made a distinction between Benjamin and the rest of his brothers. That's a second separation. Not only did he separate himself from the Egyptians and the Egyptians from the Hebrews, from his brothers, but in his brothers he separated Benjamin. Look at verse 34. Verse 34. Let's start with verse 33. They sat before him, that is, the brothers of Joseph sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled. Now let me tell you what that means. When he sat them down in front of him. And that, by the way, uh, all of these pictures you see of the Lord's Supper, uh, those aren't biblical pictures. But if they were, if they were, the way they sit is they sit by the oldest down to the youngest. And this is what Joseph, he knew his brothers, and it says they marvel because they wanted high in the world does does he know which of us is the youngest and which of us is the oldest. So he set them in order from the oldest to the youngest. Then he gave Benjamin five times as much as he gave the rest of them. Verse 34, he sent and took the food unto them but benjamin's food was five times as much as theirs and they drank and they were merry with him now my friends i'm going to say this about that and i don't know i don't know where i stand on this but i'm going I'm to tell you this i think there's a lot of uh, misapplication about the people of god in israel i can't exactly sort it all out but let me say this When the Lord Jesus comes again, if he wants to favor the Jews above the Gentiles, that'll be his business, won't it? That'll be his business, if that's what he wants to do. Joseph was loving to these brothers who had betrayed him. And I believe that a a Jew, John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a Jew. And when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, the word he used there that's translated ye is plural. It means more than one. It means everybody who's like you, Nicodemus, even if he's a Jew, he has to be born again. You can't go to heaven just because you're related to Abraham. However, when the Lord Jesus comes again, he is going to make a distinction between those who love him, even among them there will be a distinction. Would any of us think that we could dare sit next to the Apostle Paul? Or sit next to Moses? Or sit next to one of the prophets? I don't mind where he puts me as long as I'm there. (laughs) It doesn't matter. If we're willing to be his footstool, if we're willing to bow to him, what difference does it make? A lot of our brothers and sisters, there are a lot of you who believes in rewards in heaven. Some of us don't believe in rewards in heaven. But I will say for me, being in heaven with Christ will be reward enough for me. Well, you see how you can see some truths, some figures of the gospel in a chapter like chapter 43? That famine represents the judgment that's upon this world it tests the people of god this world in the united states is bad and it's going to get worse and i've been telling you that for years it's going to get worse so you might as well batten down the hatches you might as well get ready because it's coming you can't have a nation that continues to abort millions and millions of babies that continues to say we're going to take people. God made this person a male or a female. And we're going to operate on them and let them try to be something opposite in what they are. You can't do that. You can't mess with what God has done and not pay for it. This nation will pay for it. They will pay for it. And, and, and brothers and sisters, we live in this nation. <laughs> the, all of Egypt suffered from that famine but only a few people were really responsible for it. And the people of God, when these things happen now, we've got to learn that we are going to stand because these famines that come are uh, to test us. They test us. They try us. Do we really belong to Christ? Are we really going to trust him? Or are we just going to trust him as long as things going well? So the famine represents the judgment on this world, represents the test. The sons of Jacob represent you and me. The sinners, Judah, represents the means of our salvation. Joseph represents our Lord Jesus Christ. The steward represents the Holy Spirit. The unconditional love that Joseph showed to his brothers who hated him represents the unconditional love of Christ for us when we were ungodly. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then the sovereign separation tells us that the Lord separates his people from this world. And he's going to separate them when he comes again also. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word.